What's going on people? Welcome back to the Howls and Growls show. I'm your host Jake Painting, creator of the Howls and Growls Timberwolves newsletter. In today's episode we're going to be diving into a few different prospects that are worth keeping an eye on when Thursday night's NBA draft rolls around. If you want to learn more about the players that I'll be diving into, as well as other prospects that the Timberwolves may end up with on draft night, head over to Howls and Growls website at howlsandgrowls.substack.com or follow the link in the show notes of this episode. Yeah, we're talking draft today, but my Timberwolves draft guide is kind of much more comprehensive on the website, and it includes a heap of film and GIFs and clips and breakdowns, so you guys can get a little bit better of a feel for some of the potential new faces that will be entering the organization. I think before we get into it today, the first thing to get out of the way here is that obviously Minnesota is working with pick 53, and that is a shitty old draft position to be stuffed in. Now, it is my firm belief that the Wolves will package some of their future second-round picks to move up in the draft order and attempt to solidify a pick that has been a better chance, that has a better chance of panning out, because as we know, it's not a sure thing that guys in the 50s end up reliable contributors. But probably as a contradiction to that, I do think that there are a lot of really nice value picks in the back end of this draft. So even if Minnesota stay at pick 53, which again, I don't think they will, they should be able to get a player who can either add some value right away or has the potential to add some value after a season or two of ripening in the G League or just at the back of the bench. I mean, as much as it is rare for players to succeed in the late second round, especially compared to those, you know, in the first round or in the early second round, It's certainly not completely unheard of. There are undrafted and late round draft picks adding value to many teams scattered all throughout the league. We saw Gabe Vincent and Max Struess and Duncan Robinson in Miami. They were all undrafted. And in the most extreme case in the entire basketball world, Nikola Jokic was picked at 41 back back in 2014 by our very own Tim Conley. I mean, even... The Timberwolves had Jalen Noel, Josh Minot, Nas Reed, Jordan McLaughlin, and Luca Garza on their roster this season. All of those guys were taking, uh, taken after pick 40 or went completely undrafted. So it's not all hopeless. And honestly, I think it's super important that the Wolves acquire cheap talent who can either contribute immediately or give them some salary cap relief in future years when the collective bargaining agreement really starts to suffocate them. Whether they do decide to dance with the devil and run it back, or they trade a big asset, or they do anything in between those two extremes, they're going to need some cheap contracts to provide value. I think they found one with Josh Josh Minot, who was only on a million dollars last season, and 1.7 million in the upcoming season before he heads into two seasons at just $2 million per season. They might have found something with Wendell Moore Jr., although that seems a little less likely at this point. And they are at the end of their last cycle, where they found really cheap profit out of Nas Reed, and to a lesser extent, Jalen Noel. So this draft is really about finding the next one of those guys. Okay, let's start with a trade-up target in Ben Shepard. It's funny because when you scoured the draft boards and the mock drafts from the reliable reporters who have info on this kind of thing, 
or the really clued up draft website who's scouting Naus is something I really trust. Shepard was actually a player who seemed to be a chance to fall to the Wolves all the way at pick 53. And I was super excited to potentially to potentially see that. Then you fast forward from a few weeks to right now. And he has been through the draft combine tests and the five on fives and the one on zeros and all of the stuff that happens at the draft combine. And all of a sudden he is someone who's being thought of as a late first rounder or an early second rounder. As of right now, Jonathan Gavoni and Jeremy Wu's mock draft at ESPN has him going at 36. Sam Vecini's mock draft at The Athletic has him going at 30th. While the very smart guys over at No Ceilings NBA had him at 39 on their big board and actually at 52 on their mock draft. If you kind of blend all, all those things together, I think you're probably looking at an early to mid second round pick for Shepard which is obviously firmly in the trade-up territory for the Timberwolves. Shepard is a 21-year-old senior who wasn't under the brightest of lights down at Belmont, but had a really awesome final season that has now kind of seen him not only enter draft conversations, but really start flying up a big boards and flying up mock drafts. Shepard is 6'5", he has a 6'9 wingspan, and he averaged a shade under 19 points last season, To go along with 5.7 boards and 2.9 assists, he shot 47.5% from the field and 41.5% from three on six attempts per game. Now, if that last number stands out, then you've got a keen ear because Shepard can light it up from deep and just spent an entire season doing exactly that, despite being option one and option two and option three for the Bruins. Not only did he nail 41.5% of his threes, which is an insane number at high usage, but Synergy Sports had him at 49% on unguarded threes. Again, insane. And Synergy had him at 48.7% on jumpers coming off off off-ball screens. That's the most insane number of the lot. Again, you can head over to House and Drow's Draft Guide, Watch some hand-picked clips of Shepard's shooting. But trust me when I say this kind of... This kid has the potential to be a legitimately elite shooter at the next level. He nails those unguarded, kind of standstill, catch-and-shoot jumpers. He's constantly hunting space and flying around the half-court to find an opening and to find a little shooting pocket to get into. And he was even pretty good at shooting really deep threes from NBA range or even further. And he was really good at shooting jumpers out of pick and roll, pick and roll ball screens. I think the Wolves do need a point guard at some point, and we'll get to that later. But the Wolves also desperately need bench shooting. Last season, only Torian Prince, who has a non-guaranteed contract and may end up leaving to free up some cap space this summer, even maybe on draft night, and Kyle Anderson, who, as we know, shot the ball really well, but lives a lives a low-volume shooting lifestyle. Both of those guys are the only two guys who came off the bench and made over 37% of their three-pointers last season. That needs to be rectified in any way possible, and I do think that Shepard does that immediately. I think what separates Shepard from the gaggle of pure shooters in this draft cycle is that he can do a little bit more than just be a multi-tooled flamethrower from deep. Because he was the first option in Belmont's offense, 
He's pretty adept at creating for himself off the dribble. I'm talking inside the arc. And he's really adept at using off his off-ball movements and his shooting gravity to kind of lure defenders in front of him and then cut back door. And he's really good at flying off pin downs and dribble handoffs and curling all the way to the rim or into a pull-up mid-range jumper rather than just settling for a three out of those plays. He also showed that he can make plays for others. And he can do that coming out of those situations, which is kind of intriguing if you're picturing him as more than just a shooter like I am, or at least someday growing into more than just a shooter like I am. He guarded the opponent's best player pretty consistently in college, which is obviously a good sign for his defensive development. I do worry that his slight frame and kind of small size for a true wing will hold him back as an actual impact defender. But I don't think he's going to be a liability on that end. Again, I don't think he's going to be a great finisher, even though, I, as I said, he does have he does show really good signs as a finisher in college. And because he played for Belmont, there is some kind of competition worries and there's some worries about him being the number one option in his offense and now translating to what will be a bit part role, especially early on in his career. Still, because of this unique mixture of shooting, cutting and movement, finishing, all of those things, I think there'll be roles available to him all over the league. And the Wolves will certainly have him very close to the top of their big board if they are a chance to move up on draft night. If it was up to me, which obviously it isn't, I would have him at the very top of my trade-up list. I think Shepard is a really fun player and really provides a lot of what Minnesota need to kind of fill out their roster and obviously would provide it on the cheap as all rookies do in the second round. The next prospect I want to talk about is Amari Moore. Unlike Shepard, he should be a player who definitely slots into the Timberwolves draft position. Moore was ranked 44th in Sam Vecini's big board, but he went 55th in the actual mock draft Vecini did recently. He went undrafted in ESPN's mock draft, and he wasn't including in the tops included in the top 60 guys over at No Ceilings. Now, these guys know more than me. Let's not get that twisted. But I do think it's a mistake not to have more in the top 60. And I think he'd be a really fun fit with the Timberwolves at pick 53. Moore was even less under the spotlight than Shepard. He was playing at mid-major San Jose State for the full four seasons. But I think you'll find a mid-major gem in every class. And to me, Moore has the game and the growth potential to be that guy. He's 22 years old. And at six foot five with a six foot ten wingspan, I think the reason he is thought of so poorly in comparison to the rest of his class is that he kind of projects as a bit of a tweener or a combo guard, and maybe not enough of either either of those things. Not enough of a point guard, not enough of a shooting guard. But I actually think he has legitimate point guard tendencies and legitimate point guard skills. And if that kind of proves to be the case then he's a really, really good size for a lead guard. Again, 6'5", 6'10", wingspan. That's a big guard. Last season, he averaged 17.4 points per game and a touch under 5 rebounds and 5 assists while playing lead guard in the Spartans' offense. If you're looking at Moore's key strengths, you're looking at pull-up shooting, playmaking off the dribble, and the ability to mix the funky with the powerful at the rim. 
According to Vecini in his bid, massive, enormous, awesome bidboard top 100 players, Moore had the 25th best efficiency and made the 11th most three-pointers among the 111 players who attempted over 150 pull-up jumpers this season. That is a lot of numbers to throw in one sentence, but it means that he was very good at shooting pull-up jumpers. He made 35% of those shots, so those numbers aren't completely mind-boggling. But it shows that he was very, very good compared to his peers and compared to the rest of the class who were going to get drafted as well in a few days' time. He also had to take and make a lot of really tough shots within San Jose State's offense. Again, he was like Shepard, kind of option one, two, and three, and that means he pretty much was living on an outside shooting diet of tough step backs, one-on-one size-up jumpers, and quick pull-ups coming out of ball screens. To make 35% of those kind of shots is very encouraging. It's also what the Wolves and any team would want out of a backup point guard who's going to spend most of their minutes running a second unit and being asked to make self-created jumpers. The other thing he'll be asked to do if he is cast in that role of a backup point guard is to make plays for others. And that might be Moore's biggest swing skill. I wouldn't call him a legit playmaking prospect or some sort of virtuoso when he's setting the table for others. But I'm really intrigued by the playmaking. He really is just fun when he can get into a pick and roll setting. He knows how to shift pace, kind of start and stop. He knows how to get into a hostage hostage dribble to get the defender on his back. And then he can make the lob or the dump off to the rolling big man. And he can make that, that skip pass over to the corner once the defense clamps down on the roll man. They are really, really good skills and traits to have as a pick and roll playmaker. On a team who employs Rudy Gobert and who is looking to keep employing Nas Reed, it's also a very necessary wrinkle to have in a point guard's game. Finally, I think he is just super fun as a finisher. I couldn't find any finishing numbers at the rim going around, but he seems to make a lot of them. The caveat, of course, is that he's playing playing against mid-major rim protectors, but he showed a, a really deep bag of those little fakes and those little up and unders and some fancy finishes with both hands in each and every game that I watched of his. He also just dunks on people every time he gets a chance. He can, If he can get a step on a point of attack defender or attack a closeout when he's kind of playing off the ball, he will absolutely try to facial any defender, any defender who jumps with him. I'm not sure how much of that is important or how much of that actually translates to the NBA, but he definitely has NBA-level athleticism at the point guard. And let's be honest, it's just fun having a willing and able dunker on your team, and it will be fun having another one of those guys on the Timberwolves. Of course, I mean, he isn't a lottery guy, and in some circles, he isn't even a draftable guy. So he has some flaws too. He's 190 pounds, which is very small for a 22-year-old. He was decent defensively in college, but that's going to hurt him at the next level, you know, that, that smallness, and he has quite middling or average lateral quickness. The main one, really, though, is that he shot 27.7% on catch-and-shoot jumpers, which is a major red flag for any team hoping to use him off the ball and... 
really it's a major red flag for the Timberwolves. As I just said, they need bench shooting and that shooting isn't always going to come on pull-up jumpers, which is inherently a less efficient shot. He's going to need to be able to hit a way better percentage than 27.7% on catch-and-shoot jumpers if he's going to play for the Wolves or if he's going to play meaningful, valuable minutes for any team. It also means, you know, that that catch-and-shoot deficiency also means that teams won't close out on him as hard and that won't give him the opportunity to use that kind of straight-line athleticism to blow by defenders and finish at the rim with his dunks and with his crafty finishes. There's also a chance that he was just a big fish in a small pond as well. Maybe that will mean that he struggles to translate his game. For all of those mid-major gems that I just talked about earlier, there are plenty of them who can never quite find their feet in the big leagues, and that will be a worry for teams. It's a worry for me. It should be a worry for you. And it will be a worry going forward. But you never quite know until you see this kind of player in the league and around an NBA roster. I have immense faith in Moore as an NBA-level player, and I'd absolutely love for the Wolves who, as I said, really need a point guard to be the ones who put some time into him and put some development years into Moore and put some development years into the many interesting areas of his game. Okay, so let me dive into one more prospect really dive deep into one more prospect, and then I'll reel off some honorable mentions that I think are worth noting. The last player that I want to get into is Jalen Clark. Clark is probably going to land in Minnesota's range on draft night. Vecini actually has him going 53 to the Wolves in his mock draft, while ESPN had him at 55, and No Ceilings had him a little bit higher at 44. Now, as I've said multiple times on these podcasts, I think the Wolves should be targeting shooters and I think that they should be targeting point guards. And that means in the upcoming draft and in any free agency dallyings that they get up to this summer. Jalen Clark is neither of those things. But Jalen Clark is a very fascinating prospect to me regardless. That fascination stems directly from his defense. I don't think it's an understatement to say Clark is one of the best perimeter defenders in the entire class, and I even think there is an argument to be made that he's legitimately the best defender in the entire class, perimeter defender. Clark is coming into the NBA from UCLA, so no more smaller type schools. He's obviously from a big school, UCLA. He's six foot four. He's got a six foot nine wingspan, and he's a twenty-one year old junior. Despite the fact that he put up 13 points, 6 rebounds, and 2 assists per game last season, which aren't bad numbers at all, he's a phenomenally gifted defender, and that's where he's going to butter his bread at the next level, and that's where he buttered his bread at the last level that he played at. It's not that purely manic defense. Not the kind of crazy defender who's everywhere and anywhere with pure energy like a Marcus Smart or a Pat Bev. It's more a concoction of controlled movements, quick twitchy athleticism, and really functional strength despite being more point guard size in a wing defender's role. In many ways, I think those three things are the holy trinity for a great defender. To me, it's the same sort of traits that a player like Drew Holiday has, and it's the same sort of traits that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard had in their prime. That's not to say that he's obviously that level of defender right now, 
and he probably won't ever be that level of defender. But it's that kind of smooth and smart defensive archetype that you're looking at with Clark. Against less proficient shooters, he's kind of dangerously close to a complete defender. If he's allowed to duck under screens and not have to get up and kind of get through screens, he consistently beats his man to the spot and he consistently stonewalls them and he pretty much can can wall off any type of ball handler if they don't have a three-level game. Against those types of three-level scorers, and that's the kind of player he's going to be facing more often at the next level, he's able to use more guile and then use that strength to get through screens. And then he does a really, really great job of getting back into position, and he contests everything, and he contests shots at a very high level. There is, there's differences. When you, I don't know how to explain it, but you know it when you see it, on how players can de- contest jumpers. Some people just put a hand up lazily because it's what you have to do, and other players put a hand up with intent because they want a player to try and make a tough shot over them. Clark is the latter. He, he, every contest feels like it means something. Every contest feels like it's done with purpose, and that's a really kind of nice trait to have for a defender. I know that steal numbers aren't everything, and I think we all know that. But Clark did average 2.6 steals per game last season, which was the sixth highest mark in the entire country. If he was just a passing lane, a passing lane thief, that would mean less. But he caused havoc by being able to kind of rip ball handlers right out of their hands. He would interrupt passes as a low man defender and not just a guy who's kind of lurking on the perimeter. He would kind of suck in and and cut off those passes that come to the roll man or get there and kind of contest a shot or wall up at the rim despite his size. And he kind of terrified post-up players a lot with those hard double teams where he'd either come from the weak side or come from the strong side and just rip the ball out of big post-up players' hands. Again, head over to House and Growls, check out the draft guide, check out some of the defensive plays with Clark in them. Trust me, it's worth it. If you're like me and you love those hard-nosed, smart, strong defenders, Clark is going to be a guy that you gravitate towards. Unfortunately, he isn't the kind of player that inspires a great deal of confidence offensively, and that is probably why he is projected to go so low in the draft. I compared him to Josh Okoge in the guide, and while I think he is a better finisher and a better ball handler in both the open court and on those straight line drives in the half court, Clark only shot 33% on catch and shoot jumpers this season, and that's after shooting a ghoulish 26% 26 the season before. If he can't hit open shots, he just might not be able to survive in today's NBA, no matter how good he is defensively. I know Akogi had a mini breakout campaign with the Suns this past season, but we saw in Minnesota how hard it was to insulate J.O.'s offense while reaping the rewards of his awesome defense. It just didn't work a lot of the time. Sometimes it looked great. It looked great when Akogi was swatting James Harden or when he was making crazy defensive plays but it looked horrible when he was sitting in the corner and teams were able to double team Carl Anthony Towns without any fear that J.O. would punish them from the corner. There's a little bit of that stink kind of 
those stink lines, those are Cody stink lines coming off Clark, and that worries me. And yet, maybe this is just because I love these type of players. I love Josh Cody. There's a part of me that loves Jalen Clark and his potential fit with the Wolves. I'll repeat myself once again. The Wolves need a shooter and they need a point guard. But I still think Minnesota's best path to legitimacy is to lean all the way into their defense. They ranked 7th in defensive rating last season. And throwing Clark into the mix with Gobert and McDaniels and Anthony Edwards and Nikhil Alexander-Walker would give them one or two or three excellent defenders on the court at all times. It's a bit of a weird identity for a team that has Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards. But this is a weird team, constructed weirdly and often doing weird things. And if the Wolves could just get up into the top five defensively next season... I think they could do just enough with Edwards and Towns offensively to be a really fun team who wins a lot of games. Clark would be an an ideal draftee if that is the direction that they're looking to take. Alright, let's just roll through some honourable mentions here, reel them off quickly and kind of put the names into your brain in case we do see their names called out for the Timberwolves on draft night. Starting with Seth Lundy, He's a pure shooter out of Penn State. He's an older senior at 23 years old. He's 6'5 with a 6'10 wingspan. He shoots the piss out of the ball, especially from a catch-and-shoot perspective. He's a little bit boxy and a little bit stiff as a defender and as a driver and as a finisher, but he is kind of capable in those areas as well. I think he will end up a catch-and-shoot guy in the NBA and maybe purely just a catch-and-shoot guy in the NBA. He has a, a some shades of Max Struess as a high outcome comparison. And if you could foster that kind of Struessness inside him, then that's definitely a guy worth looking out for on draft night. He's in Minnesota's range as well. So definitely keep an eye on Seth Lundy. Moving on, we can go to Julian Strother. He's probably a better version of Lundy, in my opinion, of, or of that Lundy shooter type of archetype. He's a bit bigger at 6'6". Six He's a bit younger at 21 years old, but he's also a six-shooter from a standstill or a movement perspective. He moves really well to find those open looks, actually, which I really love in a shooter. And he has a tendency to get really hot and just go off from deep, which is always a nice thing to have in a pure shooter. Strawler isn't a good defender, and I don't think he's a good playmaker, but he does have a nice little floater game, which at least gives him some added versatility offensively. I think he's another player that the Wolves could use right away or could at least foster for a year or two to be a contributor. Finally, if you're looking for that immediate third-string point guard who might blossom into a backup point guard, Isaiah Wong is a player worth keeping tabs on. He's the classic scoring punch backup, really fast, really shifty in transition and can score really well in transition can absolutely nail pull-up threes on a consistent basis, and has a high feel as a scorer in general, just one of those small, high-feel scorers. He's small, as I said, coming in at six foot three and 180 pounds, and I'm pretty low on his playmaking and his finishing in the half-court, you know, for a lead guard. 
But I do think Wong is moldable and may well become a long-term servant in the league. And if you can draft that at 53, I think if Conley walked away with a guy who can play backup point guard for seven or eight or nine or ten years, then they would have definitely done their job so late in the draft. But yeah, that's all I've got for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in and getting the listens up on this new version of Howls and Growls. We're going well so far and I'm enjoying getting these solo episodes in while I kind of sort out some guest appearances and as we move through the offseason we're going to have a lot more to talk about and a lot more to cover and a lot more people to come and cover it with. As usual I'll ask you to rate the show and leave a review as it really does help grow the pod and kind of get our name out there and of course head over to housandgrowls.substack.com or click the link in the show notes Sign up for a subscription, get a free trial, read the draft guide. Lots of fun stuff happening over there every week, multiple things. And really, if you do that, it does allow me to do this ad-free and to do this whole Timberwolves thing as a full-time job. So thank you for listening. I'll speak to you after draft night. <laughs>